All right. Good morning today. Good to see each one of you. I want to ask you a question. How many of you are an inspiration to someone? Just think about it for a moment. I inspire someone in my life. Now, if you can't think immediately of who you inspire, let me ask you another question. How many of you would like to be an inspiration to another person? I think we would all affirm that, right? I'd like to be able to inspire. And when we hear that word, it probably means something different to everyone in the room. And you probably put in your mind something that's probably bigger than it really is. But inspiring someone can be pretty simple. It can be something that you can do on a regular daily basis just to make someone's life better. In the book of Job, chapter 32, it says, there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty gives them understanding. And so one of the things we understand is from the scripture is that God puts something in you that needs to be released. He puts an inspiration in your life so that you can inspire others and so that others can inspire you as well. If you kind of drill down into that Hebrew word inspiration, it's very interesting. It means the breath of God. Think about you are, when you inspire someone, you're giving someone the breath from God. The root word of it, it means to pant as a woman giving birth. Ladies, you remember that? If you've had a baby, you're just like, I'm breathing and breathing and breathing. This baby's not coming out. So the idea of this inspiration is that you're bringing forth life, that you're bringing forth something that was not there before and is now. When the Spirit of God was hovering in the book of Genesis over the waters before God created, that Spirit hovering over was bringing inspiration. It was bringing life to a world that at that time was dead but would soon be alive. Inspiration of God gives birth to new life and to new ideas. When you feel inspired of God, you, you begin to think differently. You begin to see life differently. You begin to, to imagine what could be in this world, and that comes from God. You know, when you hold your breath, you stop inspiration. And what I mean by that is when you stop allowing God to work in you and through you and to inspire great thoughts to you, through you, you just, you stop being an inspiration and everything stops in your life. But what God wants us to do is release this idea of inspiration everywhere we go. Because you see, life without purpose or dreams stops inspiration. In fact, a meaningless job doesn't inspire, does it? You know, some people stay in a job because of the paycheck, but they're not inspired by the job. And we want to live our life in such a way that everything we do has purpose and has inspiration. In fact, if you read the Talmud, the writing of the Jews, one of the things they forbid in there is employing anyone with a meaningless job. Because if a person has a meaningless job, then they are without purpose. You see, we're not supposed to work to get money. We're supposed to work to have purpose, and the money follows purpose. It's not the idea that money will therefore bring forth purpose, because we know it doesn't. But when you find yourself fulfilled in your job, and it doesn't matter what the job is, if you personally find it fulfilling, then you are walking in a level of inspiration before God. The, uh, the word soul in the Hebrew is interesting. If you study it from a Hebrew standpoint, it really means three different things. It, it's, it's almost a depth. They kind of get deeper. 
The first one is life. So the first Hebrew word is a word, nephesh, and it means to have life. So your soul is supposed to have life. When God created man, he breathed into him his spirit, and he became, the Bible says, a living soul. The second word is a word that has to do with power. It's rush. And power has to come in the middle of your soul. So all of a sudden, now I understand God created me a living soul to have life, but also to have power, that there's something in me that's not lacking, but it's sufficient. It's there. And the third word is the word inspiration. So all of these things come out of this word soul in the Hebrew text. So imagine if you began to live your life with life, with power, and with inspiration. And these actually go in terms of the greatness. This is the greatest part of your soul, according to Hebrew thought. This would be the second, this would be the basic. So basically, everyone who comes to know God has life. As they deepen in their walk with God, they have power in their life, and then they begin to flow in inspiration from God. Now, when you go to the New Testament, there's another scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word in the Greek means God breathed. That God, when he wrote the Bible, when he gave us the Bible, it was from his very breath. It was inspired of God. And so inspiration is the idea, it has a, has a meaning with it that has movement. So the spirit of God is always moving. He's never stagnant. He never stands still. He's always moving. So when you walk in inspiration, you're moving all the time. I hear people sometimes say, well, I'm just waiting on God, and that's kind of their code word for doing nothing. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been to a restaurant where a waiter didn't move? And you're going, where's the waiter? Where, can you find my waiter? Where, where's the waiter? We expect waiters to move. Amen? All right, so you, how come you translate when you get to wait on God, you do nothing? You're to be moving all the time. You see, when you're moving, when you're creating momentum in your life, you're creating opportunity. When you're moving, you're, you're giving opportunity for the Spirit of God to work in your life. Always moving. It's a seat of action. Inspiration is God breathed into you. It's the highest, it's the noblest part of mankind is to have inspiration. It qualifies you to understand the eternal and the invisible. When you're inspired, when you feel good, when you start a task and you feel more fulfilled at the end of the task, even before you began it, now you know you're right in a sweet spot of life. Now you're in a moment where you can inspire others. We just went to the Christmas party for our mayor and everyone was required to bring in a, a toy for the Boys and Girls Club, just like we did, and it's supposed to be unwrapped. The reason it's unwrapped is because we don't want you wrapping up some of your used toys. That's really just to keep you honest, amen? But, but we bring a toy, in, and I watch people walking in with a toy, and no one was proud of their toy. They were inspired to give back. I didn't see anyone comparing toys when they came in. Hey, look at my toy. I got a little better than you, spent a little bit more money. Look at this toy. We don't do that. Because it's not about that in that moment. When we are inspired, it's not about us. It's about others. It's about what are we doing to extend this idea of love and grace and mercy to everyone that we encounter. 
Uh, Rabbi Lapin says this, by loving and serving others, you are turning the key to unlock wealth and happiness. By loving and serving others. Did you know the root of the word uh, in, the, in the Bible of serve is, means to bend the knee? That service is bending the knee. It's serving someone else. We have something called a worship service. It's the idea that we are worshiping by bending the knee before the Father. We give him adoration. Why? Because he has inspired us, has he not? He has come into our life and given us purpose and meaning and growth. You know, during this month, you're going to hear a lot about the empowerment program and a lot about what we're doing with all these different organizations. And it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing. It's not a, just a December thing. It's what we're doing to reach out in our community. And you're going to hear a lot about widows and orphans. You're going to hear about people that have been trafficked. You're going to hear a lot about that and, and find out how we're engaging in that as a church. But I want to tell you a story about one little orphan, a little boy named William. And William was orphaned at a very young age. Uh, about seven or eight years old, his parents died. But then he began attending church at 12 years of age. It wasn't easy for him because he didn't have transportation. And he had to walk eight miles one way and then walk eight miles back. At age 17, he had fully committed himself to Christ and to his church. But in the country he lived, he was not considered to be a good person because he was going against the culture of that nation. He was arrested, and he was imprisoned for his faith. The persecution was so intense that finally he found an opportunity to leave, and he fled that country to another country. There he spent 12 years living in abject poverty. At age 30, he and his wife and members of the church fled that country on board a ship. They were looking for freedom. They were looking for opportunity. And during the journey, half of the people on that ship died, including his own wife. Now, when you hear a story like that, you wonder how can so much bad happen to one person and how could he ever inspire anyone or find inspiration in his own life? And yet that little boy's name as a grown adult would remain William Bradford, a name many of you don't know, but he was one that fled England. He landed on Plymouth Rock in 1620 on board a ship named the Mayflower. And in his journal, they found a handwritten copy of the Mayflower Compact, one of the most important documents in American history. Let me just give you a little excerpt out of this poor boy, persecuted, orphaned at an early age, and see part of what he put his signature to. The Bible, the compact says, in the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of the dread sovereign Lord King James, by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, Ireland, England, defender of the faith, in the name of God, having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Doesn't sound like he was confused about church and state, does it? The honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in these northern parts of Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another uh, covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body of politics. When I read his story, I'm inspired. I'm inspired by the hardship that he endured. I'm inspired that he kept going regardless how difficult life was and what was coming up against him in his own life. 
And I realize that people who inspire others, they have three things in common. The first thing they have in common is they take responsibility. You know, when you take responsibility for your life, for your situation around you, for your world, for your nation, you inspire people when you do that. You know, I don't know how many times I've picked up a, some trash or a tin can in a parking lot that was not my own. And I did it because I love my nation. I love the city looking good, and it's about taking responsibility. Don't you love it when you're around people who take responsibility for their actions, take responsibility for their life, people that are always looking for a way to make things better? The second thing that people inspire us do is they manage their resources. They look at what they have and they say, how can I do good with what I have? How can I extend life and make life better for others? When you give generously and when you support a boy or a girl for, for a boys and girls club to go to camp, when you, when you get out there on the, on the front lines of everything that's going on, you inspire people. You, you heard JP say, you know, I couldn't go. I wouldn't have been able to go. And look at what happened. It transformed him, and now he's a regular worker, servant, uh, minister here at our place. He's just loving kids and loving life and, and found a place where he could be. And isn't that inspiring to you? I was really impressed that he could speak so well and just being called up to the stage at the, just, oh yeah, come with me. How about that? That's great. The third thing they have in common is they connect heaven with earth. There's something that has to happen in inspiration where you find a way to say, let me bring God into my earthly situation. Let me not live over here in the world and then live over here in the Christian world and they never come together. When you begin to push those two together, when there's a bond there and you go, no, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because of the love of God. And I want you to know about the love of God. And, you know, not everybody we agree with. We were at this party the other night, and there were probably a half dozen different faiths there. There were people from every walk of life. But you know what? We can be an inspiration. We can talk about God. We can, we can love people regardless if they agree with us or do not agree with us. You see, because we're called to make a difference in the world. You see, we are responsible I want to take you to the book of Luke, and I love this story. It's a feeding of the 5,000. Hopefully, we'll give you some new things that you haven't seen in this story. But it says, the multitudes followed him, that is Jesus, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. There's heaven. And he healed those who had need of healing. There's earth. You see, he brought heaven and earth together. Sometimes we as Christians, we talk so much about going to church and, and, and going to heaven and being saved, we never stop long enough to look the person in the eye and see what's going on in their life. Do they need a word of encouragement? Do they need a meal? What do they need in their life? Do they need help with their kids? You see, when we begin to connect heaven and earth together, we become what God has called us to be. We are to serve our generation. We're to love our generation. We're to inspire our generation, amen? When the day began to wear away, the 12 came to him and said, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we are in a deserted place here. Now look at these, these disciples. What did they say? We don't want to be responsible. We don't want to figure out where they're gonna sleep. We don't want to figure out how to feed them. Let's just get them out of here as fast as we possibly can. They were missing the whole point of what Jesus was doing. But you know, I love what Jesus said to them. He said, 
You give them something to eat. Why you look, why you want to send them away? Why do you want to look to me? You go ahead and take care of the problem. Have you ever seen someone in need and you said, yeah, somebody should do something about that? Have you ever said that? I mean, I've said that before. Yeah, you should go do that. Maybe God's saying, because the opportunity comes to you, you should do something about that. He says, you go ahead and take care of that. Now, can you imagine what was going through their mind when he said that? He was probably thinking to himself, well, they're thinking to themselves, well, I don't know what we're going to do. But have you ever noticed this thought? We love those whom we help even more than those who help us. I wanna, I wanna drill down in this thought a moment. When I give something to somebody, I love them more than they love me. When someone gives me something, I feel a little bit indebted. Do you know what I'm talking about? And in the Bible, what God has done, he's created something for, that for children to learn how to relate to their parents, to their father, to their mother, so that we relate to our heavenly father. The heavenly father gives us so much, doesn't he? Because he loves us. He loves us more than we love him. And what does he say to us? I want you just to follow me and love me and respect me. And so what's the first promise that God gives us in the scripture uh, in the Ten Commandments? To honor your father and your mother. Why, do, why does God say that? How interesting is that? How many of you have had parents and you say, you know what, I, they're not really that honorable. I, I really don't like them. I mean, I, they weren't that great of parents. But you see, the principle is honor. They have spent their life being the best parents they know how, even if they were bad parents. And what they're doing is they're trying to do the best they can to parent you. And what happens is because they're trying to love you the best they can, sometimes what you feel, you're feeling a certain level of entitlement. And then you feel a certain level of resentment. And that's why parents create chores. They do. They create chores so that you don't feel like it's all a handout so that you start to understand that you are earning your own way in the family. And when you honor your father and mother, you're paying them back, and so you don't feel entitled. You see, there's a lot of people running around feeling entitled, and they have no title. They don't even know why they're entitled. They think they're worth so much. And, you know, they, they just are living in this delusional world of entitlement. Hey, the best thing to do is to say, no, now listen, you're gonna take the trash out once a week, really every week? Can you just hear yourself in that? Really every week? What about my brother? Don't worry about him, I'll take care of him. What about you? You take the trash out. I'll find another job for him. And then you give him a job and the other brother says, well, why does he get the easier job? And we live with this idea of entitlement, and, but what happens is when we start giving back, when we start inspiring others, I'd love to take the trash out. I'm gonna take it out twice a week. Well, the trash man only comes, I know, but I'm so inspired with trash. I just wanna honor trash day around here. This is gonna be wonderful. Well, you see, there's another thing. We tend to resent those who get something for nothing. You know, whenever you see someone asking, begging on a corner for some money, Probably somewhere along the line, most of you, I won't say all, because one of you is gonna say, not me, but most of you, somewhere along the line, will have a little resentment. Why don't they go get a job? 
they're probably not using that money for the right thing, as if you were. Well, there's a resentment that comes because there's something inside of us that says we should earn our way. We should do something to give back. You see, that was put in us by God. And so, so if, if the person, for example, who just, who's always taking, always wants the free road, you're going, you know what? I think it's time for you to step up to the plate and give back. I think it's time for you to honor your family. I think it's time for you to honor your nation. I think it's time for you to honor your church. I think it's time for you to honor your family. Because why? It's gonna make you into a better person. You see, what we all have to realize is we have resources, every one of us in this room, great resources. Now, even if you have very little, you have resources. If you have a lot, you have great resources. But I wanna take you back to the story and look what happens in Luke chapter nine. It says, and they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. All right, so they said, well, you want us to feed them, Jesus? Look what we've got. We've only got five loaves of bread and two fish. How are we gonna feed everybody with five and two? It doesn't even make sense. Unless we go buy food for all these people. And then the disciples are sitting around, turning their pockets inside out, going, you know, I don't know. You got anything? I, I got nothing. How does Jesus want us to do this? I got nothing. Empty pocket. Have you ever come to the place where you feel like God has moved you to do something and you say, I can't afford it or I don't have any resources? then you're right where God wants you. Hold that thought and don't move away from it, that you're right where God wants you. It says, now look what they said, for there are about 5,000 men. So what were they doing? Everything was rational. They're looking at the accounting, they're saying we've got five and two, we got 5,000, we got no money, and it doesn't work. The math doesn't work. If you ever come to a place where you say the math doesn't work, you're on the verge of inspiration. You're right where God wants to get you. God is, gonna, God is gonna do some stuff in you you won't believe, and through you, you won't believe, as long as you don't fall back into resentment, fall back into entitlement, and you go, I'm ready to be inspired. How many of you are ready to be inspired today? Amen, all right, ready to be inspired. So here's what you do. You have to examine everything through two sets of eyes, heavenly and earthly. Heavenly is love, loyalty, determination, and hope. Those are the qualities of heaven, aren't they? If you look at your situation and say, let me apply love, let me apply perseverance, let me apply loyalty, let me apply determination, let me apply these things and hope to my situation, could I see it a little bit different? Could I make a difference in that person's life? Could I make a difference in this situation if I would apply that which I have and freely given to God? The things that are earthly are tangible and visible, but are the heavenlies always more important? You see, what I have multiplies when I release it. If you try to hold on to something, it just stays stagnant. If you release it, it begins to move and do something with it. A lot of people say, you know, I just don't, I, I just can't do anything. I, I, I'm just, I'm broke, I don't have any time, I don't have anything. Isn't it amazing how nobody has time anymore? I, I, I just, I, no, I can't, I don't, I don't have time. What are you doing with all that time? What are you doing with your time? Is, is any of your time set aside to inspire others? What if you got up in the morning and said, you know, today I'm gonna inspire one person. It might just come up and just say something nice to them for a change. How about smile? That's pretty inspiring, right? Hey, that's I'm talking to you. Smile back up here. That's better, see? 
I got to look at all of you going. <laughs> There's something inspirational about that, isn't there? All right. So what I have multiplies, but I've got to release it first. And you see, God wants us to bring heaven and earth together. Do you know that's God's eternal plan? Do you know, here it is in the beginning where God is walking in the cool of the garden with Adam. Adam sins, and then God is no longer walking with Adam in the cool of the garden. And the garden scene doesn't come back until the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, and all of a sudden, guess what? Earth and heaven have merged, and God is in the midst of her. And they're God's people. So it's always been God's plan to bring the two together. So let's see how Jesus does this with the disciples. Luke chapter nine, verse 14. He said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. Now, whenever the Bible uses numbers, it's not accidental. The Bible's using numbers because numbers in Hebrew mindset are always significant. So I want you to remember, we had five and two, right? Added up to seven. Now we have 50, so we've got a bunch of numbers that are floating around here. We're gonna come back to those in a minute. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up to heaven. All right, so he's got the five loaves, he's got the two fish, he looks up to heaven, and he's going to burst something right there in their hearts. Do you know that Jesus does not multiply the bread and the fish? They do, the disciples do. So many people think, well, he, he multiplied, no, he didn't. All he did was bless it. Now, can you imagine your disciple feeling very uninspired? Jesus holds up the five and the two. He says, I just want to bless this food. Remember, you're at dinner. Now, imagine you're, it's Thanksgiving, all right? There's one drumstick and 20 people around the table. You got the picture? God, I just want to thank you for this one drumstick we have here and just bless it, bless everyone, and may we all just get full and hate ourselves in the morning. Amen. You'd say, this is crazy. They're thinking he's crazy. Don't get the idea these, these disciples were always in tune with what he was talking about. They were just like me and you. Sometimes you go, I don't know, I think God's crazy for, for getting us into this thing. How is he going to get us out of this? But look what he does. He blessed and broke and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. Gave what? He gave the five loaves and the two fish. He says, okay, go ahead and get this out. So they all ate, <laughs> they all ate and were filled, and 12 baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. You got a group of 50, they start handing out a little fish, a little bread. All of a sudden, all 50 have some. They go to the next one, all 50 have some. Next 50, all 50 have some. They get done with 5,000, and guess what? Now there's 12 baskets just of leftovers. Hello? That's a pretty good meal. 12 significant. We got seven, five plus two, seven. We got 50, and now we have 12. So the numbers are significant in the Bible. The number seven is a number of complete and lacking nothing. When he took the five and the two, he said, we've got seven here. When God created the heavens and the earth, he made seven days and he was done on the seventh day. He said, it's complete, it's all good. Then he took the 50. He said, put them in groups of 50. This is not arbitrary. This is not some creative way to get everybody organized. He wanted to make a point. The number 50 is a number of freedom and celebration. In fact, the 50th year is called the year of Jubilee. 
And what happens is after 49 years, on the 50th year, all land goes back to the original owner. If you'd bought a piece of land and you had to sell it because of a debt, on the 50th year, it was a year of jubilee, it would always come back to the owner. It was God's way of making sure that poverty did not exist in the land. When you read the book of Proverbs, it says, don't move the ancient landmarks. Those are the landmarks of land. And what would happen, sometimes they would buy a piece of land and a greedy person who bought that land would move the landmark so that the land was actually smaller than originally belonged to that family. And God said, don't ever move the ancient landmarks. You see, God has a way of getting things done. When we follow his pattern and his plan, things work very, very well. And then the number 12 is a number of divine order. We'll read about 12 disciples and 12 tribes. We'll read about the 120, the multiple of that. We'll read about the 12 gates in heaven. And it's a divine order thing that God has, a divine government. You see, heaven and earth need to be bonded together. And you are the glue. You're the glue. Everywhere you go, your inspiration is the glue of taking heaven and earth, bringing it together and helping people to understand how to live an inspired life and how to be inspired in their own life. Because I really believe heaven is crowded with kingdom blessings, waiting to be released, waiting for someone to inspire someone to do something. I just only imagine if you said to yourself, you know what, I'm gonna take my life and I'm not gonna live by any title or entitlement. I'm gonna live by inspiration. How fulfilling your life would be. Imagine if you were the one that paid for JP to go to camp. How would you feel? I mean, just take a name. Grab it from the air. It's probably one of the kids that need to be sponsored. What if you looked at your life and your church and you said, you know, what if I was an inspiration to my church? What could I do? What could I give? What time could I give? What gifts would I give? What if I was an inspiration to my family? What would I do? How would I inspire them? How would I breathe God on a situation? What about your nation? How would you breathe God into your nation? You see, we're all, we're so intertwined, aren't we? You can't ever separate. You say, I'm just, gonna, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with that. You are, have everything to do with that because you're part of the creation of God, made in the image of God. And not everybody knows that yet. Your job is to inspire them to see God in life. Amen? Let's stand together. you stand, I want you to, I want you to just take a moment, if you just bow your head, take a moment right now, and I want you to think about this idea of inspiration. I want you to think about what would I, what could I do that would be inspiring to others? How could I be an inspiration to someone in my world? What would that look like? Maybe you're just gonna pray a prayer like this one. God, would you just show me something I can do today? Would you just bring that to mind today? And every person in here is going to be a little bit different. But God is a God of revelation. God speaks when we call on him. If you will just ask him, just say, God, would you speak to me? Would you inspire me that I might inspire other people? He will honor that prayer every single day.